A couple of you are good, the rest of you are not so sure. It's still morning, right? Haven't had enough coffee, I guess. Uh, we're glad that you're here with us today. We're glad that you chose to take time out of your weekend to be with us. And uh, I'm glad if any of you were our guests last week, we didn't scare you off and you came back this week. So we're thrilled to have you uh, here at Journey. We're continuing a series uh, called Hope. And I, I'm really excited about the next three weeks. It is Hope is one of the most lacking uh, emotions, one of the most lacking strengths, one of the most lacking realities in most people's worlds today. You look around, and some of you may, that may not be your experience, and, and you have a strong faith, and you have strong relationships, and you have a, a bright future ahead of you, and you're thinking, hope is just, that's all I'm about is hope. But for others, and for many others, and for many others in our community, for many others in our nation, and as we see it spreading around the world, there is a lack of hope. Hopelessness is spreading in such a tremendous rate that people are giving up faster than ever. They're giving up on life. They're giving up on family. They're giving up on careers. They're giving up that anything can be better than what is right now. We are missing out on hope. And so last week, what we wanted to start with was just foundationally, where is your hope founded? Now, I gave you some homework. I'm not going to assume you did the homework, I'm, so you can race through your mind over the next few minutes and see if you can come up with the answer, but I asked you to think through what is the object of your greatest hope? What is the object of your greatest hope? Where are you placing your hope? In who? In what? In a circumstance? In an opportunity? In a person? In people? In a group? Where is that hope founded? Because the truth is, if our hope is not founded in an object that can sustain it, then it is never going to last. So where is your hope founded? Uh, for many of you this week, I, uh, you, you started in small groups with us. One of the ways that we are able to, to continue to have hope when things are, are maybe difficult and uh, things that we're going through is small groups. So how many of you guys have already been a part of a small group this week? Just raise your hand. All right, I only see a couple. I guess a lot of them must be serving in, in our kids' areas. We also have a couple of other small groups I just want to tell you about because, quite honest, if I don't tell you right now, I'm going to forget. But Tuesday night, we have a new small group that's meeting at 6.30 in this room right over here. And so if you want to come and be a part of that, it's a new group. They're welcoming new folks. Uh, they're going through, I think, Jonah and Obadiah, I think, are the two books that they're going through. We also have groups tonight that are beginning back. Uh, we, our group is meeting tonight at 5.30 at our house, or excuse me, at 5 at our house. And then is, is Stacy in here? Stacy, what time is your group starting? 5.30. I don't know. Where is it at? Rogers House. So you need to go see Kim Rogers or Stacy Hill about that. Also, Wednesday night we started Starting Point. And so I want to invite you that if you have not uh, gone through Starting Point or if you're new to Journey, be here Wednesday night at 6.30 and we're just going through some of the basics of who we are We are as a church. What does it look like to grow in your faith? And then finding your spiritual gift and finding a place to plug in. It, you do not have to uh, commit to anything, but it's a great place to come and build some relationships and see what a group's about. So we hope that you'll come. That's going to be when starting Wednesday. It actually started last week, but we may uh, recover some stuff this week. We would really love for you to come and participate in that. Hope. Hope is powerful. Hope is that whenever you're going on a date, this person wants to be with you. Before you ask them on a date, that they'll say yes. And once you've been on a few dates and you think this may be the one, they will say yes to being married. Now, some of you in the room, the guys ask the girls. And some of you in the room, the girls ask the guys, right? No. Well, obviously not in that one. But uh, in others, that may have been the case. Hope is when you're writing out your resume and you are hoping that this resume will catch the eye of the interviewer and they will come back and offer you what you really want to do in your dream job. That is hope. Hope is that as you're going to work, that work is not going to be boring that day and you're going to be able to get through your shift and you're going to be able to go home and you're going to have enjoyed your day because somebody may call in sick that you don't want to see that day, right? That's hope. You've never done that? Oh, okay. 
know, there's all kinds of ways we can have hope. But hope is powerful. Hope after working two weeks without a day off and you get four days off in a row, hope is that you are going to have those four days and it gets you through your two weeks of work. Hope is powerful. If you get sick, if someone you love gets sick and you're not sure how it's going to work out for them, hope is the thing that helps you continue to move through the treatment process that they will be well at the end. Hope is powerful. Hope is necessary. When you don't have hope, you give up. If with, Without hope, there is no life. And that's why so much of Scripture is about hope itself. 1 Peter 3.15 is what we read last week. And it's an instruction for us that if you have hope, you ought to be able to communicate it to someone. It says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So I want to talk with you today a little bit about hope in a different vein Because what I know to be true for every single one of us is that hope doesn't just happen. Hope doesn't just install itself in our lives and we really can't explain or understand it. There are a number of things that go into hope being built into you. And that hope does not necessarily have to be in something that can actually sustain it. You may be welling up with hope in something right now. Last week, Tennessee fans were welling up in, with hope that it was going to be a great season, and then they lost. And so many of you struggled this last week in great amounts of depression over the fact that Tennessee lost. Your hope was renewed this week. Amen? All right? Hope was renewed this week. As many of you know, we play who next week? Florida. Now, if you're a Volunteers fan, you don't know the answer to this question. But how long has it been since Tennessee beat Florida? But the Florida fan knows. Because the Florida fan has more hope than you do. Right? Ten years. Has it been ten years, really? Well... Next year it'll be, um, next year it'll be, it's been zero years. So uh, anyways, uh, all right. So that's next week. We can build hope into things that honestly, they don't help us long term. We can have lots of hope into the, the UT season and we can love the fall. And there's a lot of people whose lives are built on college football or NFL or some other sport. And so that really the rest of the year, it really doesn't matter because all their hope is built into how their team's going to do. We can build hope into something that is fun and it's encouraging and it makes life go better. But it's really not sustainable for us to last us for the rest of our lives. But there is something that you can do to establish hope that matters within your life. And the truth is that hope is built on what you believe to be true. I want you to just let that sink in. Hope is built on what you believe to be true. Our hopes are for something that will happen. They're not necessarily happening right now, but they will happen. Our hopes are in something that should happen at some point in the future. You're not, you know, sure how it may all work out because you can't necessarily see it coming to fruition. But yet your hope tells you it will come to fruition. But you have to believe that that is true. We do hope that we'll beat Florida. We have more hope this year than we did last year because our belief is greater this year than it was last year. You do have certain beliefs that you are building your life on, the decisions that you make, and and important priorities that you distinguish over others. Those are basically built on beliefs that you hold. Now, there's lots of beliefs that you can hold. There's lots of things that you can hope to be true or you can believe to be true. But it's the ones that deep down inside you say, yes, I can hang my hat on this. This is absolutely true. That is where your hope will be built. Proverbs 4.23 says this about your thoughts. This is from the TEV version. Be careful how you think because your life is shaped 
by your thoughts. This is why it is crucial that we have a grasp on what our minds are processing every single day. This is why it's crucial what we allow to come into our minds because that will shape who we are to become and what our lives are going to be about. Those thoughts, those things that go on in our heads, they are going to shape our lives where they are now and where especially they go in the future. If you believe negative things about yourself, you're not going to have hope for yourself for the future. If you believe negatively about the circumstances in your life and that they hold more power than anything else, you are not going to have hope <coughs> Excuse me, <coughs> for the future. What you believe will directly shape your life and your future. Now, we could sit down and we could go over a list and I could say, okay, now, if you want to have the most hope that you can possibly have, I'm going to give you your list of things that you need to believe. I can do that. I can give you a list. The problem is God doesn't work in lists. And so if he's built something in you that makes you different from someone else, your list may be different. But yet still what you believe matters. What you believe will shape your life and your future. Here, I want you to just think through some of these things. What you believe will determine what you claim to be true. If you don't believe that it's true, you won't claim that it's true. You won't build any decisions off of something that you don't believe is true. What we believe determines what we claim to be true. What do you believe about your life? Do you believe that you're valuable in and of yourself? See, many of us believe we're valuable, but only because of what we do. Therefore, at any point that we stop being able to do that, we believe our value drops. Or if you meet somebody who does that better than you, then your value drops. What do you believe about your life? What do you believe about your value? What do you believe about your future? What's also important is what do you believe about the lives of others? It is so incredibly crucial to understand that what we believe about others translates into how we treat others which therefore determines what kind of relationship we have with them. Think about it. Who are the people in your life you wish were not a part of your life? What do you believe about them? There's something that you believe about them that makes them toxic to you. Therefore, you wish they weren't a part of your life. What if that belief is wrong? What if that belief is not right? What if the belief is only partially true? Yeah, they're a jerk, but they're a jerk because every time they go home, they get beat up by somebody. Does that change your relationship with them? Because now you have a different belief about who they are. That they're not choosing to be a jerk because they just want to be a jerk. But they are living a life that's unhealthy because they've been abused their entire life. What we believe about others is important. It's crucial to how we treat others. What do you believe about what is owed you? What am I entitled to in this life? See, if you grow up in a home where you have lots of stuff and you have no limits on what you give to your kids... Your kids grow up believing that they are entitled to lots of stuff. They believe that's true because that's been their experience. They have experienced that for themselves. And so if we have no limits for our kids, then our kids grow up believing some, some things that just aren't true. You're not entitled to stuff. You're not entitled to what you would consider a good life. But that's been your experience, so that's what you say to be true. What do you believe is owed to you? And this will go on. We'll talk about this another time. But this goes on incredibly in your relationship with God. Because many of us approach God not for who he is, but what we believe he owes us. So if we approach God from what he owes us, we don't approach from humility. And that's why many of our relationships with him are just so screwed up. What do you believe is owed you? Versus what do you believe you owe others? 
There's a tension between those that all come down to what do we believe? What do we believe? What we believe, I've already said this, determines how we do treat others. What you believe about yourself determines how far you will go in life. One of the prevailing news stories that are continuing to crop up in some really unusual ways is the Black Lives Matter movement. Have y'all been following this? If you've not been following this, you've probably not been living either because it's all over news and social media. And in the Black Lives Matter, it all comes down to what are the basic beliefs of those who are pushing this agenda. And no, if you've been paying attention, you also know that there have been those that have gone out and ambushed police based on the Black Lives Matter message. Even so close to home that Cleveland is on notice that there are those planning to ambush them. Now, here's the thing. I know some of the Black Lives Matter folks. And they are all different beliefs wrapped into this one movement. There are those that believe Black Lives Matter is a justice movement about police corruption. There are also those who believe that Black Lives Matter is about fighting all police because they should not hold citizens accountable. But they don't necessarily share those beliefs, even though they're all under the same organization. And then there are those that believe that Black Lives Matter means that they should be supreme over all other lives even though that is not shared by many of those pushing the movement. And yet what we see, oh, thanks. What we see is that what you believe about a certain thing will determine how you treat other people. If you believe it's about corruption, then you will work the justice channels to fight corruption. If you believe it's about all police, you will make messages that stereotype all police. If you believe it's about black lives being better than all others, which I don't think is shared by many in that movement, then it will become just a racial thing with no justice component at all. What do you believe about something? Do you see how our beliefs matter? What you believe about your future will determine what steps you take and what decisions you make for the future. What you believe about your ability to grow will determine what you will try for. Because if you think you've reached your capacity, you will no longer try for stuff. What you believe matters. What you believe determines how we treat others. What we believe also determines how we respond to our circumstances. All of you are in something. I don't know what. All of you have something going on in your life. You have some kind of event or you have some kind of reality that you're dealing with on a daily basis. It may be about work or home. It may be uh, about things that you're planning for or working towards. You all have different circumstances going on in your life. Some of them are really good. They're really positive. They're exciting. Some of them are not so exciting. They're depressing. You're struggling to work your way through them. What you believe about a circumstance will determine how you respond to that circumstance. So, give you an example. Really appreciative of Richard and Wendy being up here today. And one of the circumstances in Richard's life, and I'm not sure if the Sharps are here today, but uh, Richard's uncle, Jason, I don't know if y'all know that, if you know Richard and Jason, that Jason's Richard's uncle. Richard's granddad, who is Jason's father, passed away yesterday. And yet they were here leading us in worship. So his granddad and is, was a very important figure in Richard's life a very important figure in Jason's life, and so it took a lot for them to come out and be able to do that. Now, Richard's response to the circumstance that he's in is one of hope, not despair. There are many people that when they lose a loved one, it's a, it's a response of despair. Their life is over. They're gone. I mean, it's ended. It's done. Yet Richard's response, Jason's response, is one of hope because he was a strong believer. And their hope is informed by their belief that there is life after death and a person who knows Jesus spends all of eternity with Jesus after death. There's hope there based on a belief that they hold. 
So the circumstance doesn't control their lives. It doesn't destroy their current mindsets. They're able to continue to go on because they have hope because their belief is solidly built on what God has promised. So it changes. Our beliefs change the way we handle circumstances. What do you believe about death? Is it the end? Increasingly, as our world moves away from the idea that there is life after death, there is an increasing amount of hopelessness and an increase in a scamper in order to get everything for every individual that they ever wanted in life. So the question of what do we owe others becomes subservient to the question of what do others owe us because I've got a limited amount of time and I need to live every moment I can out of it. What do you believe about your circumstances? What do you believe about what God can do in them? What I believe is that Jesus came not only to radically change what we believe about life, but to guarantee a strong foundation for its truth. This is what John chapter 8 says. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him. He sat down and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they may have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down. He wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and he wrote on the ground. Now, let's take out the Sunday school filter that we put on Bible stories and go, well, Jesus did exactly what should have been done because we know the end of the story. But let's flip it around and say you are there and it is your, this woman is your friend and she is being brought out and a group of people are saying we need to kill her right here on the spot for what she has done. This is your friend. What do you do about this thing that is happening in front of your eyes? Do you bend down into the dirt and start riding? What would you do? Start swinging. Go get the car. (laughs) Get her in the car. Take off. Call the police. Of course, that wouldn't have done anything different. Anything different in this case. Yet Jesus, he bent down. Now, let's just imagine what Jesus could do. Have a little fun. What could Jesus do? Think about some of the miracles Jesus performed. Jesus was on a boat sleeping. A storm was coming. The boat's rocked all over the place. Jesus gets up, says a few words. The storm just calms. Jesus walks up, sees a man. He's going nuts. He's chained up. He's out on the outskirt of town. He's acting crazy. Come to find out he's possessed by a demon. Jesus says a few words. The demon leaves the man. The man is now fine. About a story where someone is sitting by a gate, crippled, not able to move, been crippled since birth. Jesus comes over, says a few words. Crippled man stands up, walks away. I mean, Jesus can do whatever he wants, right? Jesus was no friend of religious people trying to hurt other people. He was no friend to them. We know the story when Jesus got angry at the temple. He fashioned a, he sat down, fashioned a whip. Thought about it for a while, and then he chased them all off and beat them up. He was no friend of religious people trying to hurt other people. What could Jesus have done in this scenario? It would have been cool if the earth just opened up and swallowed them. That would be cool, wouldn't it? Or just a lightning storm and hit them all right there. Just kind of like an Iron Man moment where he targets them all, they're gone. That would be cool. Right? This is your friend, remember? But instead, Jesus, he sat down, wrote in the dirt, said a few words, said, if you've got no sin in your life, go right ahead and do it. 
Verse 9 says, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Why? Because the older ones are typically more reflective than the younger ones. As we're younger, we just act. As we get older, we begin to reflect more. It's more tiring to act, and so we think about it more. And so the older ones, they left first because they've been thinking about, I'm not, okay, I'm not that great either. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. Now, what was the point of what was going on here? What Jesus is doing is not acting in a way to keep something else from happening. His goal was to change what the people believed about the circumstance. He wanted those that were ready to stone her to change what they believed about themselves from judge to the ones being judged. He wanted the woman to change what she believed about herself from believing that she was worthy of death to believing that she was loved and was not to be judged. What Jesus did in this moment was not act in a physical way, even though he could have. Jesus knows that if he changes our beliefs, he changes our lives. Because our beliefs determine how we act in every other part of our lives. Once Jesus changed their beliefs, he ultimately changed their behavior. If there's a behavior that needs to be changed in your life, one of the very first steps you have to take is to change your beliefs about it. Because when you change those beliefs, you absolutely will change your behavior. Now, this is where this becomes more crucial. This is where really the rubber meets the road. I think you're probably tracking with what I'm trying to say here. Our beliefs are important. Hope is built on beliefs. Now, this is where we break down many times in the fact of it is really, it's up to us to inform our beliefs to the very best of our ability. But the problem is we live in a a social media-rich culture, just a media-rich culture, that we stop trying to validate what may or may not be true. But if it's persuasive... I'll just believe it, even if it's not true. It is up to us to inform our beliefs to the best of our ability. Let me give you some examples. Go go ahead and put the first picture up. Here's a funny example, easy example. The one on the left, what you see on the board at Burger King. What you see on the right is what you actually get when you sit down to eat. We believe when we order, we're getting that, and we're disappointed when we get that, right? But we went to Burger King because that is what we believed we were getting. Next one. We had this conversation yesterday in our family. This was a news story that that swept through social media. Chick-fil-A to open on Sundays beginning in October. After years of being one of the only national fast food chain franchises to be closed on Sundays... The CEO made an announcement on Friday to begin opening the doors on Sundays nationwide, which received quite a backlash from Christians talking about the the now CEO of Chick-fil-A as being less spiritual, less dedicated to his face, less of a good Christian. And look, he's just following the ways of the world, and I'm just not going to eat there anymore because they're becoming like everybody else. But it's an absolutely false news story. No truth to it at all. But people buy into it, they believe it, and then they act on it because you act on what you believe to be true. Next one. Have you, ever, have you seen this picture? Anybody? This is an older picture. This is a Hungarian man visiting the World Trade Center, photoshopped an airplane into his picture, and it spread like wildfire. And used to hate terrorists. Yeah, that man's still alive. He, this didn't happen this way. But it's convincing, right? 
In the age of Photoshop, we are so convinced of so many things that just aren't true. There has never been a snake that could swallow a bus. Or maybe there was, but it's not been in our lifetime. Even though there's visual evidence on Facebook. Next one. This is where it gets dangerous. So I mentioned Black Lives Matter. This, is, this became a viral image in parts of the country. Where these cops, and I don't know exactly what they originally had. I'm guessing each one had one word and it said cops lives matter. Because those have been. And someone photoshopped to instigate violence. And so this news story is a report that this is a false image that someone made. And who knows what it would motivate somebody who's already enraged what they will do. If you believe this to be true and you're already enraged, you will act on what you believe to be true. As Christians, we have to be focused on making sure what we say is true actually is true. Let me give you some more examples. Right after uh, the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage, a news story hit and it blew up my news feed. Anybody remember the Vermont pastor that was jailed for a year because he refused to marry a gay couple? I mean, it blew up my news feed. Christian groups were jumping in. Everyone was just, they were saying every terrible thing they could say about the Supreme Court and everybody else. How could they do this? Totally fake story. Never happened. Never happened. And yet, we perpetuate these things as Christians. Another one that came through, same time, gay man suing Zondervan for $70 million because he didn't like what the Bible said. I can't tell you how many people shared that with a negative message towards someone else. Absolutely not true. You see how our beliefs move us to action? And if we are not so careful about what we believe, it moves us to improper, false action. Now, these are some extreme examples. But what about the different things that we in our own lives have accepted to be true that absolutely are not true? To what we believe, it matters. And the truth is, when you don't inform your beliefs, we become gullible believers, perpetuating false beliefs, otherwise known as Facebook users. (laughs) Before you share, why do we share? We want to motivate other people in the way that it motivated us. Before you share, do take some time to figure out if this is true. You cannot inform your beliefs without taking time to study. You can't do it. And whether it's a news story that comes through your Facebook feed or if it's someone who's saying, I need to change something about my life. You cannot change your beliefs, and come down to the truth without time to study. You've got to set aside time. You've got to be intentional. You've got to say, I need to figure out what I know to be true. And if I have other people influencing me, I need to take the time to see if they are coming from the side of truth or not. See, as Christians, it's going to be crucial for us that we know what we are saying is true. How much time do we take to study? How much time do we take to ensure that what we have shared actually has some validity to it? Romans 15.4 says this, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have what? What's the word? Hope. What was written was meant so that we might have hope. Well, how does, what, how does a book translate to hope? I really hope that when they make a movie about this, it lives up to the book. That's not the kind of hope we're talking about. It's because from the very beginning, what we believe will translate into what we have hope in. What do you believe? When you don't inform your beliefs, 
you become stuck. No one likes to be stuck. But when your beliefs stall out and you no longer study, you no longer dig, you no longer struggle through all of the different things that you're dealing with in life to, to come to what is true, you get stuck. And when you lose hope, you get stuck too. Hebrews 5 says this, about this we have much to say. This is talking about the priesthood of Jesus. If you want to go back and read uh, just before this, talking about this is not a new problem. Christians who don't take time to study and be informed. It says we have much to say and, and uh, you can go back and read the preceding verses. And it's hard to explain. So there are some complicated truths out there that you can't get just like that. You can't have a two-minute conversation. There can't be a meme that all of a sudden you encapsulates that whole truth. There are some truths that are just more complicated than others. But about this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. In other words, you have the opportunity to grow beyond where you are now. What time you spend trying to do that will determine how far you go. But if we just kind of take life as it comes at us and we're not intentionable, and intentionable, that's not a word, but intentional. If we're not intentional about how we approach it, do we stay stuck? And we still need the basics. We're not ready for what becomes more complex. Many of the truths of Scripture become complex truths. Many are very simple. They're straightforward. I mean, they don't take a whole lot to figure out. When you don't inform your beliefs, you get stuck. We don't put the time in to determine what beliefs need to shape our lives. We get stuck. We can't always explain why we're stuck. But we can always explain, yes, we, I am stuck. We feel it. When your beliefs are founded on the truth of Scripture, we read over and over again, your hope will grow. If you're struggling with hope, your hope will grow. These are some of the things. Let me just give you, before we close out here, let me give you a few hopes that Scripture tells us that you can have. First Peter 1, 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. See, one of the greatest hopes that informs my life and many of your lives is the belief that this is a very small portion of life. Whatever, however many years that I live, whether it be 80 years, 70 years, 60 years, 50 years, or some number I really don't even want to think about, 90, I don't want to be 90. I don't want to be, I know what it's like to be 43. I do not want to be 90. I'm not going to keep myself from being 90 if God wants me to be, but I don't know why he would want me to be 90. But I would want to live as long as possible if I didn't believe that there was something better after this life. When I get frustrated as a person, as a man, as a pastor, when I get frustrated, I just want to give up because life is too short to live frustrated. I just remember that this is just a small part of what God has said is coming. That truth informs how I treat others and how I act. I believe there is life after this one. And I also believe that there are those that will not choose it. And their eternity will be very different from mine. So that informs how I treat those who are not followers of Jesus. I want them to become followers of Jesus. Because I believe what is waiting followers of Jesus is pretty awesome. What's awaiting those who are not followers of Jesus is not awesome. 
so I am compelled to help others know Christ. That's not informed because I don't have anything else better to do. It's informed because there's a basic belief I have that there's life after death. Do you have that belief? That belief has been the foundation for our faith since its, its inception. Even when preachers like Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God, which is the most demotivating sermon that has ever probably ever been preached. Did you all study about this in school at least? God is just an angry God who has you like a spider at the end of a web dangling over a cauldron just ready for your life to be cinched and taken from you. That's just motivating. That just makes me want to go out and love people, right? I just want to go love you because I'm about to get burned up. This feels great. And yet that sermon started a massive revival and awakening. In people, because they believed there was life after death and they didn't want to miss it. What do you believe about death? As we've shared with Richard's grandfather and with uh, Jason's dad, is true for all of us. I had a conversation with my dad, and many of you have been following some of the health issues with our family. We've kind of got some new ones cropping up, and um, so my dad was talking to one of his good friends, was telling him, yeah, I got to go have some tests for stuff. And his friend's response was, well, who's going to take care of your guns when you're gone? You know, that's a good friend right there. That's a good friend. Take care of your guns when you're gone. Interestingly enough, that friend had a heart attack yesterday. So I said, well, did you ask him who's taking care of his guns? <laughs> and yeah, they're concerned. And yeah, that hurts. And they don't want to see their friend in the hospital. But there's hope. They can joke about who gets to keep whose guns because they're going to spend eternity together in heaven. That's their belief. It gives them hope. They deal with their circumstances differently. If there's no hope there, then it's fear. It's anxiety. It's what are we going to do? How are we going to deal with this? How are we going to handle this? What if happens if they're not around anymore? But when we believe that the promises that Scripture give us are true, we're able to say, well, I'll see you. If I don't see you here, I'll see you there. And that is where much of our hope is built. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. One of the most known Bible verses in the entire world, memorized only by more people or fewer people than those who have memorized Jesus wept. More people have memorized Jesus wept than any other verse. However, more people know the content of John 3.16 than any other verse in the Bible. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's the problem with Jonathan Edwards' sermon is it, it, it leads people in the belief that God wants to condemn us. But Jesus said over and over, just like the woman that was caught in adultery, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to offer salvation to you. And so it gives informs us of how we treat others based on the beliefs we have from Jesus. He didn't send him into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. That motivates us for evangelism. We've got to tell people about Jesus because there are real consequences at stake here. And yet as there's a push now to say, well, there's there's heaven but there's no longer hell that removes that importance of taking the gospel because everybody goes to heaven as a sweeping theological change to the gospel in our age. just makes it easier not to talk about the alternative. This is what I want to leave with you. Romans 12, 12. What do we do with all this? How do we wrap this up? Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Now, I don't know where everyone in the room is. 
I don't know where your hope meter is. It would be nice if each of you had a little, you know, floating hope meter and I could just say, ooh, I need to talk about this or talk about that or, hey, you're doing great back there. That would be awesome. I don't, I don't know what that's like for you all. If you're like me, your hope kind of does this, right? Based on circumstances, there are times that something happens and it's like, ooh, it feels drained. And all of a sudden I think, wait a minute, what, what's true here? And hope rises. Ooh, that could be a song, right? Can that be a song? Hope rises. Anyways. I don't know where you are. But I can tell you that wherever you are, your hope can build. But it has to start with what you believe. We talked about what is the object of your faith last week. This week, what do you believe? What are you going to accept as absolute truth? Will you put the time in to determine if it's absolute truth? For some of you, you're already thinking, well, how do we do that with Jesus? I mean, he, he's not around. If he was here and somebody was dead on stage and, and, and he brought him back to life, it would be a lot easier to believe the stuff that the Bible is true. But we've not seen that happen. We have stories of people who died and then make millions of dollars writing a book or making a movie. That just doesn't seem like that's solid enough. It would be so much easier if God just parted the ceiling and then just kind of descended and spoke to us for a while. I could really get a hold of that. I, I could get behind that belief. But I will tell you, for those that have faith, they have seen God work in tangible ways, but that has been informed by what they believe to be true. I can't tell you how many times I've just in awe go, God, I can't believe you have worked this out. And yet there's just no other explanation. can't tell you how many times I've just struggled with something. God, I just don't know what to do here. And just like that, he gives an answer. I just can't tell you how many times that happens. And there's just, I have a pretty healthy understanding of who I am and what I'm not capable of. And I recognize when God's at work. That's informed by what I believe about him. What do you believe to be true. So there's three activities you can do this week. Rejoice in the hope that you have. As a follower of Jesus, you have hope for eternity. You have hope that the Holy Spirit lives within you. You have hope that God is active and alive within you. You have hope that this hope will grow with you. You have hope that it is going to, no matter what else happens in life, you have hope that when it's all over, you're going to be in heaven with Jesus. Rejoice in that hope celebrate that hope focus on that hope let our minds wander to the things that are good not wander to the things that make us depressed rejoice in hope be patient in tribulation because some of you are going through tribulation be patient god is working god has a plan here through it all be constant in prayer be constant in prayer one of the reasons that we don't pray more often is because we don't really believe that prayer is effective. When we believe prayer is effective, we pray more often. Remember, our beliefs determine our behavior. If we believe that prayer works, if we believe that God is listening, that God cares, we will continually pray. Now, the problem is, is that we expect God to answer in the way we want him to after the first prayer. And sometimes God doesn't answer that way. And so we get fed up, disillusioned. God's not real. God doesn't care. God's not able. And we have to remember, we have to be patient in tribulation. Remember Paul, who was one of the greatest saints who spread the gospel throughout the known world at that time. And yet he prayed over and over, God remove a thorn in his side. And God said, I will not do it. He did not get the resolution he wanted, even though he was doing powerful things for God in the world, called by God. I mean, after Jesus ascended to heaven, appeared before Paul. I mean, Paul had a serious relationship with Christ. And yet God said no. For many of us, because God sometimes says no, we get angry. What do you believe about him? Do you believe that what he is doing in your life is necessary for you. 
is foundational for you, is forming for you. If you believe that, then you'll continue to pray, recognizing God does not want this to happen right now. Be patient in tribulation. Let me give you some things you can be praying for. Be praying for the Jacobs family and the Sharp families, their extended family. That's a, it's a large family. Be praying for them. If you'd like to be praying for my uh, parent's friend, his name is Bill, and uh, he had uh, he, he had a severe heart attack, and but he looks like he's going to pull through just fine. After he had surgery yesterday, you can be praying for him. Be praying for one of our favorite people, Debbie Kemp. She's having some minor surgery this week. She really didn't want anybody to make a big deal about it, but uh, we need to be praying for her. She's a part of our community, so be praying for her. That's Wednesday. You can also be praying for some friends of the Hendersons. His name is Cameron Bean, and uh, if, you, if you've seen any of the Bean heating and air signs around, their son, uh, who apparently was training for the Olympics, was hit by a car last night. Uh, he was out running and is in a very severe condition, lots of injuries. And be praying for them. Be praying for my mom and dad as well, as they have multiple health issues that they're dealing with right now. You could be praying for any of those that you know. If there's a request or a need that you all know of that, that we don't know of, uh, get a communication card. Write out a prayer request so we know to be praying. Uh, email us. Stop us in the hall. Not the most effective way to get information processed because we'll probably forget by the time we get everything locked up. But if you'll write it down and get it to us, then we can do something with it. There are lots of ways that we can build our hope. Start today by changing what you believe. Set your beliefs on solid truths that will have eternal rewards. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for the incredible things that you've done in us. I thank you for the the love that you have, and uh, God, there's so many mistakes that we've made that you're continually there telling us that you are our, your children, we are your children, that you are our God, and that we can have hope in you. Father, I pray for those in the room, and they're just having a hard time really digesting all of this because the circumstances in their life are so difficult. Father, I pray that you would increase their hope. I pray that you would put people in in their path to help them to find what is truly happening, what is true in their lives. Father, I pray for those in this room, and uh, their hope is, has been gone for a long time. It's because they believe so little about themselves. They don't believe they're, they're worthy. They don't believe they're lovable. They don't believe they're valuable. And yet those are principal characteristics that you've built into them. Father, I pray that they would be able to see their hope grow that what they believe about themselves would change. Father, I, I pray that you would hear our prayer of, uh, of sorrow asking for forgiveness when we have been lazy not to study to know what is true. We just have chosen to do other things in our lives than to take the time to determine what you have really said. I pray that you would forgive us when we have become lazy. I pray that you would forgive us when we've become selfish and all our thoughts and all our time is focused on ourselves. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to look beyond ourselves to something that's greater. I thank you for the gift of your son that no matter how sinful we are, no matter how many terrible things we've done in this life, there is forgiveness that is available. There is grace that is offered and that hope can be renewed. Father, our hope is in you. I pray that you would help us to be confident in that hope as we leave this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.